Thank you so much. And as we continue through Nehemiah 1, can we read together this prayer that Nehemiah prays? Uh, We'll pick it up as we've read the first four verses. Let's pick it up from verse 5. So Nehemiah sat down, wept, prayed, fasted before the God of heaven. Then verse 5, then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. As we mentioned earlier, Nehemiah's first action here is to pray. And it is a deep and honest prayer from a heart that has been before God for a long time. Uh, remember back in verse 1, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, he received the report from Jerusalem. Then at the start of chapter 2, in the month of Nisan in the 20th year, and then he went into King Artaxerxes. That's a gap of about three or four months potentially. So Nehemiah has been before God for months praying, and now this, record, this recorded prayer is here for us. So how does Nehemiah pray? What does he pray? After all of that reflection, and before he takes any action, he prays. But how does he pray? What does he pray for? And what does this prayer of Nehemiah teach us about how we ought to pray to? That's what we're going to spend our time with this morning. And as we do that, I want to briefly mention six attitudes. And I know that sounds like a lot. Don't worry. Six attitudes that we see in Nehemiah's prayer that we would benefit from in our own lives. And as we're sharing this morning um, with Michael and Elizabeth, I want to encourage you, uh, every morning, every Sunday morning before the service, we gather for prayer, um, anytime from kind of half 10, 25 to 11 on, just in the back room to pray for 10 minutes or so, and then you can come in and, and get ready for the service. Um, and so please do join us if you're able to any week, that would be wonderful. But I was sharing how when we look at Nehemiah's prayer, and we fast forward to the prayer that Jesus teaches his followers to pray in Matthew 6, there's so many overlaps. And so we will compare those two prayers as we look at these six attitudes, these six characteristics that we see in Nehemiah's prayer. And those six are that Nehemiah prays worshipfully, humbly, contritely, truthfully, broadly, and specifically. And we're just going to move our way through that. But before we dive in, and based on all that we've seen so far in this story of Nehemiah, we cannot miss that this story begins with prayer. This story that we assume is about walls, we assume it's about action, as we'll come on to see, there's lots of opposition and how Nehemiah and the people overcome that. There's lots, of, there's lots of action to happen in the story, but it begins with prayer. And one of the things we'll see through these 13 chapters is Nehemiah's consistent and dedicated prayer life. This is the, the longest prayer we have of Nehemiah. 
Sometimes, as we'll see in chapter 2, he just shoots up a quick prayer in the middle of a conversation with the king. But Nehemiah is dependent on the Lord. And all that takes place, right from this moment through to going to Jerusalem, to seeing the walls rebuilt, to seeing the people recommit to the covenant, to return then to, to reform the commitment to the covenant, all of that is based on Nehemiah's prayer. His prayers. And so the rebuilding and restoring work of God, it must begin with us in prayer coming before God, not driving ahead in our own action plan, thinking we know how to sort out our relationship with the Father. No, he knows us. He is king. If this sweep of history shows us anything, it is that we serve and worship the sovereign king. And so before we take action to try to rebuild and restore ourselves and our faith and how how much we can prove ourselves to God, no, let's just come before him in honest, worshipful, humble, contrite, truthful, broad, specific prayers. And he will work by his word and in his spirit. And so let's look at how we see this prayer. Let's think firstly about how Nehemiah comes worshipfully. Look in verse 5 at how he addresses God who he's coming before. So he's coming in prayer. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Again in verse 10, We see him say that uh, when he's talking about the people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. And so firstly, when we're thinking about coming to God in prayer, we must recognize who we're coming before. Jesus reminded his followers of praying in this way too, didn't he? In Matthew 6 verse 9, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's not just an introduction to rush through, to get to the meat of the prayer. No, that is an encouragement to stand with the right posture to say, hallowed be your name. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God. We see it through the Psalms. We see it through the prayers of Paul in the New Testament. When we come to prayer, let's remember who we're communicating with. Let's remember whose presence we're welcomed into. Whose ear we have the attention of. Isn't this incredible? The God of heaven, the great and awesome God, hears our prayers. So let's come worshipfully. And as we do, won't that lead to that second attitude where we come humbly? When we recognize who we're coming to, how dare we come in any other attitude other than humbly? Nehemiah says in verse 6, that God, it asks that God would, be, would hear the prayer of him, his servant. That language of servant coming before his God. I find this really interesting in verse 6. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant makes. Nehemiah asks that God's ears would be open. We might understand that, but his eyes would be open to see, to hear the prayer. He doesn't say to see the prayer. He says your eyes open to hear the prayer. It gives me the sense that Nehemiah wants to see, wants God to see him as he's praying. To see Nehemiah's desperation, to see Nehemiah's heartfelt desire and his true motives for coming to prayer. Nehemiah's laying his whole self before God. Look, Lord, see me here. Hear my prayer. And he does so humbly as God's servant. You see, when we come before the great and awesome God, we see that his ways, of course, are best. The great and awesome God, of course, his ways are best. And so this echoes into Jesus' prayer for us, doesn't it? Or Jesus' prayer that he instructs us to pray. Matthew 6 verse 10. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. 
as we recognize you are Father, hallowed be your name. You have your way because your way is going to be best. And that's a challenge to us because I, I, I might think that my little kingdom is important. I might think that my will, my desires are strong. But when it comes to the goodness and the greatness of God, then it's his kingdom we want to see. It's his will which will be best. And so we come humbly. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Thirdly, we come contritely. See, as we see the the strength and the might of God, it's it's as if our sin becomes clearer, doesn't it? When we see his purity and his holiness, we become so aware of un- our unworthiness before him. And so we then need to lay that before him again. Jesus modeled this for us, didn't he? Forgive us our, tr- our sins, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And so we come in confession. We come pleading for God's forgiveness, knowing the truth that he is faithful and just and will forgive us. What a gracious and merciful God we come before, but we must recognize that he is holy. And as we come in our strength, in our own self, we are not. As we'll come to see the table and the the wonderful sacrifice of Jesus and our acceptance of his forgiveness means we come clothed in his righteousness, but it's not a righteousness of our own. And so we come contritely, humbly confessing our prayer, our sins before him. But notice in Nehemiah's prayer in verse 6 and 7 that he doesn't just pray for himself. So he comes and asks that God would hear his prayer on behalf of the servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave to your servant Moses. Nehemiah prays and confesses on behalf of others. And I'm not sure this is a a practice that we take on that frequently, but there's clear evidence for it here. To recognize the sins of those who have gone before us and how their actions have impacted on our understanding of God, maybe even even on our relationship with God, certainly on our understanding of what it means to follow God faithfully. So we we must confess. Now, now it doesn't take away any uh, sense of the responsibility that Nehemiah has to confess his own sin. He says that he's coming to confess the sins that I, myself, and my father's family. He's not, he's not abdicating responsibility elsewhere, but he's certainly praying and confessing on behalf of others. We're going to do some, uh, I'm going to lead us in a, a prayer of corporate confession uh, as we come around the table to pray on behalf of us all. Um, but it's, it's, it seems like more than that, doesn't it? To confess the sins of our fathers, confess the sins of our nation. So we come worshipfully, humbly, contritely, Fourthly, we come truthfully. Um, What I mean by this is the reality that Nehemiah prays full of truth. It's not that he tells the truth. I don't mean truthfully in that way. I mean he prays words of truth. And so he knows. He brings to mind the promises and the word of God. He knows God's word and uses that to fuel his prayer. See this in verse 8. In verse 8, Nehemiah says, Remember the instruction you gave to your servant Moses. And he quotes back to God what God had promised, that if your people are in exile, I will draw them back if they turn to me and repent. Now, now, Nehemiah calling on God to remember is not the sense that God has forgotten. God hasn't forgotten his promises, and now that Nehemiah has reminded him, he said, oh, yes, of course, I will do that now. No, it's more the sense that that, that Nehemiah is asking that God would fulfill that promise in his day. 
Remember what you said, Lord, make it so. And so he's praying that he would witness God's fulfillment in, that, in his day. It's that specific prayer that the people would turn back to God and therefore God would take them back to the place that he had called his name. And so that's exactly this, the place where Nehemiah finds himself. And so he's appealing that his day would be the day that God would fulfill that promise. Because his day would be the day that the people would repent. The people would come back to God. But, but what this does demonstrate for us is that Nehemiah knew the promises of God. To be able to pray them, he had to know them. And he used that knowledge of God and his word to fuel his prayer. I, I don't know if, 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 many, if any of you struggle with prayer, can't find the words to pray. I know I've been in that setting. God gives us words. He gives us example prayers. I'm, I'm reading a wonderful book through the prayers of the Apostle Paul. You can lift any of the Psalms and pray them. These are prayers for us to use. When we can't find the words or cultivate the words ourselves, let's pray the promises and the words of God. Jesus instructed us similarly to do so in praying, your will be done in Matthew 6.10. Well, if we want to pray that God's will would be done, let's know God's will. And if we want to know God's will, we find it in his word. He tells us his ways. He tells us his plans. And so let's pray that his will would be done. And when we pray that way, then his will will be done. So pray full of God's truth. Pray truthfully. Fifthly, pray broadly. Nehemiah prays in broad terms here that God would fulfill plans and purposes for his people in general. He prays on behalf of the nation. We've seen that already. He prays in verse 10 and 11 for those who are fearing or revering God's name, for those who are turning, that they would turn back in faithfulness. And so it is good to pray in those broad terms, those broad topics. We bring these, these wide-ranging issues that maybe we don't know the specifics of and we still can bring them before our God. Jesus invites us to pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a broad prayer, but it is a great prayer. Let's pray that God's will would be done in all places and in all times. Yes, please, Lord, your will be done. It's a broad prayer, but it is still a worthy prayer. It is still a prayer that God will hear and answer. So we pray broadly. And finally, sixthly, we pray specifically. See, alongside those broad and more general prayers, Nehemiah ends his prayer with a very specific and maybe even surprising request. Verse 11, after praying all this great and wonderful words and this big picture stuff, then he finishes the last sentence, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. And Nehemiah was about to walk into a room where he knew that he needed God's help. This was a pressing and real need. We'll see more of that when we come back to chapter two next week. He knew he needed God's help going into the presence of Artaxerxes. But, but what I find interesting is that in this whole prayer, Nehemiah hasn't prayed for the walls. He hasn't prayed for Jerusalem by name. He doesn't mention Ezra or Zerubbabel or the others who have gone back to the city already. Now, Nehemiah, we, we know through the rest of the book, he is an astute man. He is a thorough man. He, he would have known of all of that other stuff that was going on. He would have been aware of all of those needs. But the specific prayer at this stage is for the next thing. The next thing that must be done, the first step that Nehemiah had to take was to walk into Artaxerxes' presence. And so that's the specific prayer that he brings before the Lord. Now, of course, we will see Nehemiah pray for all those other things in due course. I'm not saying it's in any way wrong to pray long-distance prayers, if you want to call them that. But the specific prayer that Nehemiah prays is for the next thing that had to happen. And so that's what he brings before God at this stage.
And Jesus teaches us to do this too, doesn't he? He prays, he, he teaches us to pray, give us this day, Lord, our daily bread. Not, not a week's worth of bread that we can store up. Not, not a month's worth of bread that we can keep in storehouses. No, give us today our daily bread. Give us what we need for today, Lord. Yes, there are lots of things and big picture things that it is right and good to pray for. I'm not saying that the Bible's suggesting that we shouldn't do that. But when we're praying, we can pray specifically for the very next thing that has to happen. However big, however small, we pray specifically. So there's at least six things that we see, both from Nehemiah's prayer and we see echoed in Jesus teaching us how to pray. We pray worshipfully, humbly, contritely, truthfully, uh, broadly and specifically. And, and essentially you could summarize all of those things if you wanted to into two main categories. That when we pray, we recognize who God is and we recognize who we are in light of that. We recognize who God is and we recognize who I am before him. And there is much more that the Lord has to say to us through this passage, I'm sure. And so I'd encourage you to invest time in Nehemiah 1. In fact, if I could give a challenge, maybe even between now and next Sunday, why don't you try to read through the whole book? There may be a couple of chapters that you may struggle with a little bit. There's, there's a couple of chapters that are just lists of names. But read through them. They are God's word to us. Together, hopefully, we'll learn uh, what God is teaching us through them. But let's spend time, invest time in this book as God has much to say to us about how we come before him to pray. How when we long for him to rebuild and restore. And let's begin with prayer. As we embark on this new series, uh, I do pray that the Lord would rebuild those of us who are feeling a bit broken down. I pray that he would restore to us the joy of our salvation. I pray that as we venture through these 13 chapters of God's wonderful word, that he would teach us and speak mightily to us, life-changingly to us about what it means to be God's people in God's place for God's purpose and that we would live in the light of all of that. Let's come before him in prayer now. Oh, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, we come before you and we can only come before you because of Jesus. We can only be welcomed into your presence because we are covered with his righteousness. He has taken our sin and our stain and has clothed us with his purity. And yet God, we come humbly, contritely. We come, Lord, confessing our sin before you confessing our lukewarmness, our half-heartedness at times, confessing maybe even the reality that we haven't bowed the knee to you yet in salvation and repentance and faith. God, would you speak mightily and show us your wonder and your grace, your holiness, our, our need for you, for your salvation work. And Lord, we come knowing that you have much to teach us. We come claiming your word and your promises as right and true. We pray that you through your word and by your spirit, would lead and guide our steps. Father, we pray broadly in this sense for all of us here. God, would you do a work in us of rebuilding and restoring? Would you gently restore those who need a gentle touch? Would you strongly give those of us who need that urge and Father, specifically we pray, and I pray for each person here and each one not gathered with us, 
Lord, would you move? May we be humble before you. May we be obedient to you. May we be faithful to you. May we live passionately for you. And from today, God, we pray that you would help us to pray. Lead us, guide us, help us, we ask, for your glory.